Ready? Let's go. Give me a vacation. Vacation. Give me a golf course. 70 courses. Let's get a water sport. Can I get excursions? We're watching. Time for chill vibes. Beach yoga. How about a garden tour? Give me a dolphin. What's that spell? San Diego. If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes. That it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's Two Dudes in a Kitchen with Tyler Florence and Wells Adams and iHeartRadio podcast. All right, welcome into another episode of Two Dudes in the Kitchen. It's Wells Adams and Tyler Florence hanging out with you. And uh, we've got a two-for-one special for you today. I'm very excited about this episode. Tyler, how are you, buddy? I'm good, buddy. How are you, man? How was your weekend? Um, It was great. Yeah. Uh, nothing really happened. And I kind of like it that way. My My daughter, who's 15, is now in love with the Kansas City Chiefs. Of course she is, because, well, I don't know if you know this, but um, Taylor Swift really uh, put Travis Kelsey on the map. You want to hear some like if I had to put my tinfoil hat on for a second, you want something crazy. My wife sent me this TikTok last night and she said that Taylor Swift chose that game with the Jets specifically to really lean in on. So it would change her SEO search, because if you look up Taylor Swift and Jets, it's all about her flying private jets from here and there and now wow. if you look up taylor swift jets it's her at the jets game wow that's, that's like four-dimensional chess don't you think that is next level awesomeness not service true or not that was crazy i just want that to be m- my biggest problem is is that people think i fly too many private jets around too many you know so we watch we watch some football with well, nice. with uh, with my my brand new 15 year old daughter football fan so it was kind of fun that's great. Well, we're going to have a party uh, today on Two Dudes in the Kitchen. Like I said, we've got two guests today for the show. We've got Megan Brown, who's going to talk with us about all things small bites for any occasion and to get some tips from her new cookbook called Brilliant Bites. And then we've also got Joshua Weissman, a New York Times bestselling author. He's got a new cookbook coming out on October 17th. It's called Texture Over Taste. So we're going to find out all about that. And I know that you actually know Joshua from back in the day, right? Yeah, this kid's on fire. Yeah, yeah. I, I've known him. I, you know, I met him. It'll be funny to hear the year. I think it was 10 or 11 years ago. I was okay. on book tour in Austin, Texas or Houston, Texas, I think. And uh, this skinny little kid, as a matter of fact, I think he just like posted a picture. Did he send that into our chat, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, take, take, a look, take a look at the way. Take a, yeah. Well, I know, we we might, we might both look a little different, right? 
You look the same, actually, if I'm being honest. <laughs> but then, I mean, he, he's had that eye of the tiger who he knew exactly who he was going to become. Mm-hmm. And he is just tearing it up through YouTube specifically. But this guy's got a great audience. He's got a great channel and his videos and his content is next level. So yeah. I'm excited to catch up with him. Well, we're going to start with Megan Brown, and I'm very excited about this new cookbook of hers called Brilliant Bites because I do love to construct the perfect bite. Usually, like if, especially at brunch, I'm usually trying to save the last perfect bite for the last bite of the dish. And Megan's whole thing is about just cur- curating that constantly. Um, so I'm excited to talk to her. We're going to take a quick break, and we come back on Two Dudes in the Kitchen. It's two-for-one special. We've got Joshua Weissman, and right around the break, Megan Brown. Stick around. Ready? Okay. Give me a beach. Beach. Give me great food. Tacos. Give me adventure. Hiking. Give me a date night. Sunset cruise. Give me some smiles. Cheese. Give me more beaches. Beaches. What's that spell? San Diego. If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleha Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, welcome back to Two Dudes in the Kitchen. Wells Adams and Tyler Florence hanging out with you and very excited to have on the show today, Megan Brown, who's got a new cookbook out called Brilliant Bites. Megan, how are you? Great, and y'all? Fantastic. Yeah, we are. We're great. Uh, Congratulations on everything. You know, I, I was just, I was tearing through your Instagram page and I just think you connect with the audience on such a perfect 
level, like your, your ingredients, your cooking style, your personality. It, it seems like this, like everyday voice. I think people love. Oh, thank you. Thank you. It's fun. It's definitely never, a, I always say never a dull or undelicious moment around here. <laughs> there you go. So tell us about this, this book, Brilliant Bites, and what was the inspiration for it? And what can people expect uh, when they pick it up? Absolutely. So it's filled with 75 small bites, small bite recipes for all occasions are all very charming, creative, and most importantly, approachable. Anybody can make them, recreate them. You can find the ingredients at your everyday grocery stores. And there's bites for every occasion. We're talking breakfast, party, holiday, dessert, even 11 savvy sips. So we call them to pair with the bites. And what really inspired the book is people love finger foods. They love to just pick up and take a bite and enjoy it. And then if they want another one, they can have another one. So we entertain a lot. I have four kids that love eating and snacking and and we host a lot. So that's what it's all about. I wanted to share some of the easy, cute, fun exciting appetizers and snacks that we serve on a regular basis and let people be inspired by them and enjoy them with their loved ones as well. I love it. I love it. I mean, and even if it's kind of going through and for everybody who's like watching this, like little clip right now, right. But like your Instagram feed is just packed with all kinds of really great, like game day opportunities, like fun dessert brunch, um, you know, party platters, all kinds of really good inspirational stuff in here that I think you, you, especially if you start going to like you're feeding inside the book, you're never going to run out of like ideas, right? I think all these are really, really good. And and so tell us about some of your, your favorites inside this. I mean, especially, okay, you, you've got some folks coming over uh, this weekend. Um, mm-hmm. What's in your fridge and what are you going to put together for a platter? Of course, it depends on the occasion. Usually this time of year, we are watching football. <laughs> nonstop around this house, uh, three boys and a husband who are obsessed. And so, Taylor Swift. <laughs> and Taylor Swift. So and my 15-year-old morning. daughter who is now in love with football, specifically <laughs> exactly. the Chiefs. Exactly. My on my 12-year-old the other morning, uh, Monday morning, I was like, hey, did uh, Taylor Swift's team win? And he was just rolled his eyes. Taylor Swift's so team won. Yeah. Oh my God. It's the best. They are dying. Like yeah. they just can't get over it. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's a lot of just game day food. The bacon, mac and cheese, jalapeno bites are on repeat every weekend. Oh, that I good. have these loaded potato chip bites that are so easy. I mean, it's just, it's ideas like that. It's so simple how they come together, but everyone loves them. It's a, a Ruffles potato chip, like a ridged potato chip. I bake them with cheese and bacon on them and they come out and the, the chip stays crunchier on the outside, but it softens a little bit in the middle as you, as it bakes Ooh, it's and crispy and chewy. sour cream and, and chives. And it tastes just like, like a twice baked potato, but in chip form. So kind of like nachos. Um, that's fun. Yeah. And then just a lot of fun desserts. We always have like brookie bites, which are like half cookie, half brownie, and we've been making some ice cream bites lately because it's still 110 degrees here in Dallas. So there's some Oreo ice cream bites that are really fun. And we have these Froyo bites that we make on the regular and the kids really enjoy those. So we've been making them all. Even last night, we had a whole Halloween feast. Um, of, I have these jack-o'-lantern mac and cheese bites and some mummy meatball bites that I made us for dinner last night to kick off October. Very festive. And I, I always talk about how like around Halloween, I like to have savory options out because I feel like we're just inundated with sweets, um, especially on Halloween or when we're trick-or-treating. So 
I liked, there's several little savory bites in there to complement all the sweets that we're going to enjoy on the holidays. So when you guys have parties, like a dinner party, can mm-hmm. you do like the entire night with just bites? Yes, absolutely. And that's really? what we do. Like, yes, absolutely. Our My first cookbook actually is all about boards, charcuterie, cheese boards, snack boards. And that's where that's all inspired. My husband and I love to entertain, but we don't want to be in the kitchen cooking while our guests are enjoying themselves and we want to be out there with them. So we made this kind of decision, I would say probably 10 years ago, we're like, we're going to stop this sweating it out in the kitchen while we have friends over and Mm -hmm. prep everything in advance and just put it out there and let everybody start enjoying and we can enjoy it with them. So a lot of these bites are inspired by that kind of serving of like, have it all ready, put it out there and let people start grazing at their at their own will and wish um, and not plating up these meals and forcing people to, you know, eat um, a certain um, allotment of food. So what we'll do with bites and similar to how I do with like a big cheese and charcuterie board is I just put an assortment of them out there. And in the book, there's these charcuterie board cracker bites that I've been serving nonstop since really the book. Those look pretty, by the way, I think that's definitely on your Instagram account, right? Am yes, I pulling that, that up? Is, is it the one that's like it, penned yeah. at the top, right? Yep. That's it. Yep. That's them. That is, that, like that's a, a bite and a half. Yep. Yep. It's, it's like a bite and a half. Everybody is just so satisfied with them and wowed by how um, impressive they are to eat. Because a lot of people wouldn't think you would put little like cornichones and meats and cheeses all on one bite. But that's really how you graze on a charcuterie and cheese board. And so as we serve them, people are literally speechless. Like, I didn't expect to enjoy this as much as I do. And then what we love about it and the feedback that I've gotten from a lot of our close friends who were used to enjoying big charcuterie and cheese boards with is that they appreciate the size and how they can, they're satisfied with two to three of them. And then we move on to the meal or we move on to something else. And they said, then they don't just like gorge themselves on this big, you know, cheese and charcuterie board. And they're too full for the, the actual meal, or if we're going to, you know, have a pre-party here at the house and then go out to dinner. And we're not all miserable off of a big, beautiful, tempting cheese board. So. Yeah. I love that. So Halloween's right around the corner and we're definitely planning a a Halloween party because my children, I have two teenagers, right? And they're, they're, they've outgrown trick-or-treating, but they're not kind of in the zone where they go into like adult parties so it's kind of somewhere in between. So I, I think we're going to do this, um, uh, you know, maybe 25 people come on over, a lot of kids. Um, and then I, I think they're going to, you know, come from a party or on their way to another little party. It's sort of a grazing opportunity, honestly. Yeah. Like what's yeah. some really great things that we should throw out? Absolutely. I, I mentioned two of them earlier. They're festive, fun, even adults. I mean, it's like adults adore this stuff too. Don't Nobody's too old for some of the shaped foods. I, I do these little mac and cheese bites and I garnish them with little um, pepperoni, like cut up pepperonis to look like jack-o'-lanterns. That's and cool. Like a little broccoli in the top of them and they look like little jack-o'-lanterns. So back and up a little bit. So, back, hang on so you're making the bite. So start, you got macaroni and cheese and how do you make the bite form of macaroni and cheese? Yeah. So I use a muffin pan and okay, once I yeah. make the macaroni and cheese, I whip a little egg into it and that's what will really bind it together into the bite form and hold it so that you can easily eat it and then I bake it in a muffin pan and when they come out I decorate them like little jack-o'-lanterns and with pepperoni and then pop them out of the muffin pan and put a little broccoli in the top and they look just like jack-o'-lanterns are so adorable so cute and then the mummy meatballs I boil um fettuccine, like thicker pasta. And I have some fresh meatballs and I wrap it around them and I put them on a bed of um, 
pasta, I mean, a marinara sauce, bake them. And then when they come out, I top them with a little dollops of ricotta and then a little piece of olive. And they look like meatballs. You'll have to look at the picture to really like see, but they, people just go crazy over them and they're so delicious. It's like spaghetti and meatballs in bite form, but they look like mummies once you garnish them with the ricotta and the olives. Oh, it's fun. So those are fun ones. Of course, for Halloween, they're very themed. And I also have these monster cookie balls that are no bake. It's just, they taste like a monster cookie. It's mon- it's peanut butter, honey, oats, M&Ms, sprinkles. And then I put the little candy eyeballs around them. So they're like peeking out of the oats in the ball. And those are perfect to set out. They're no bake. Kids love them. Um, adults love them. I hide some in the back of our fridge away from my kids. <laughs> so I have some handy. <laughs> So yeah, and then I mean, of course, I, I that's definitely from Brilliant Bites. Those are my faves for Halloween. But I, we also like to put out. I make a, I call it a snack o lantern, mm-hmm. and it's a big um, wood board, and you can see it on my Instagram too. And it's it's it has a bunch of orange snacks. Yeah, right there, yeah, so yeah. That's, that is a given on every single Halloween. We make that and put it out. But for everyone to snack on and graze on, we also do jack-o'-lantern nachos. I mean, everything takes shape for the holiday. <laughs> and of course, Christmas is right around the corner. And I saw that there's a like a Santa hat and Rudolph yeah. pancake bite. Tell us about that. Yes, those are so fun. And that's just a fun like Christmas breakfast or like a, a sweet um, treat to put out on Christmas Eve. But there are pancakes made and stacked into little Santa hats. So I make the pancakes with little banana. They're banana slices coated in pancake batter. And then I alternate them on a food pick um, and put a strawberry top on the top. And it looks like a Santa hat. <laughs> and, and then with the Rudolphs, it's rolled up with peanut butter and then little pretzels in the top and a raspberry for the nose. And they look like little Rudolph pancakes. So it's just a fun way to play with your food for the yeah. holidays. And um, it gets people really excited when they're enjoying it and memorable. That's what it's all about too. Like it's something that like people just don't forget. They love this kind of stuff. And um, if you can do it in an easy way and have those core memories around the mm-hmm. holidays or just special occasions, that's what it's all about for us. So Yeah. It's putting a smile on somebody's face. It's creative. Yeah. It tastes good. It's fun. Yeah. 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 I, I really like laying out, you know, a, 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 a grazing dinner party mm-hmm. versus having everybody sit down for dinner. Because I think when you sit down, I think the energy stops. Yep. But I think if you yep. kind of keep it up somewhere between like a stand-up cocktail party and just a, a like a, a, a mashup gathering of people kind of walking around, coming and going. So it's kind of like a drop by, you know, mm-hmm. that's definitely what we do around Halloween. I usually will make a fantastic chili or I'll make like pumpkin soup or something like that. And then kind of have it ready to go in cups. And sometimes I'll do something fun with uh, like a, I'll do like a little truffle cream and a, and a, and a mm-hmm. ISI gun and kind of whip it like a little mousse on top. You know, I'm a chef, so kind of get crazy. Yeah, that's, that's expected. Oh, there you go. And that's what I tell my wife. She goes like, don't go crazy. I'm like, people are going to walk over here and they're going to expect they're something. Expect. You know what I mean? They're going to expect that, right? Yes. But um, yes. I really love what you're doing because I, I I think, you know, when, when people are starting to think through holiday platters and celebrations, they really want to, you know, do something that feels like it's going to be a hit, mm-hmm. you know, it definitely the, and, and something that they're going to feel like they're going to be known for. Because there's bragging rights when you have people coming over your house. 
Yeah. You want to, you want to set, I want to set them up for success and I want them to feel that same like appreciation and joy. There's no, no better compliment than somebody eating the food you've prepared, whether it's your recipe or not. And they, they say, "Mm," and they have that reaction. I'm just like, this is so good. How, you know, delicious. That's what it's all about. And I want people to experience that. So with my cookbooks and with my recipes and with my inspiration, I share on my blog and, and Instagram, it's all about that. Like, I want you to have all the tools I want to be easy and I want you to be able to do it and have fun and then also enjoy it with um, your loved one. So, well, as the resident bartender on TV, I have to ask about these drinks that you yeah. uh, have in the cookbook as well. And, and I guess I would assume because, um, you know, all these, these small bites are, are kind of like, um, large batch like uh you make up for so a lot of people can enjoy them all at the same time is that what these um these cocktails are are they large batch so that's you make it then you don't have to mess with being in the bar the entire night no no these are more single like just very creative takes on classic cocktails my husband actually created all of them he's our he's our in-house uh cocktail maker and they were just just a good way to like take a classic cocktail and make it a little bit creative to get to put a twist on it and um, they can certainly be made in batch form for sure um, and that's what we would encourage people with certain ones of them some of them need to be made one at a time or two at a time um, but yeah they're just more inspiration to kind of give you something unique to serve with your bites or just for each holiday or occasion that's different from your classic cocktails. And they look really great too, right? It's just so Savvy Sips. I'm sorry, I'm tearing through your Instagram pages we're talking about. Right? So Savvy Sips is sort of like that little section, right? Of cocktails. Yep, yep, and yep. tell me about that fig old fashioned because that sounds like oh, it's right up my alley. It is my favorite. Like a snuggler, oh sipper, kind of like good cocktail by the fire. Yeah, it's simple. It's very, very perfect for fall. It has fig jam and just it's comforting and like well balanced. It's not too sweet. It's not... um too overpowering with the fig flavor. It's just a very balanced, easy to drink cocktail. You could, you could really pair with a lot of um, different dishes and stuff. So, okay. So we're having a dinner party tomorrow night. No joke. I need you to give me three home runs from your cookbook that I can make tomorrow afternoon to wow everyone tomorrow night. Okay. And then you want it to be the whole meal. You want it to be, you want it to be appetizers only, or you want it just to knock it out with a full meal? The full thing. Okay. I love it. Then we're going to go Italian themed. There's the meatball lasagna bites that you make in the muffin pan as well. And they're little meatball bites and they're just so delicious. And who would have ever thought you could eat lasagna with your hands. And then you're going to make some mini manicotti bites. So you got, so you're on a pasta theme here. And then you're going to do the kale salad, chopped um, chopped kale salad bites that are in these little Parmesan cups, which everybody loves because it's like bite-sized salad. You don't have to commit to a whole plate of salad. And let's see, are the kids there? No, no kids. No. You can do the deep dish pizza bites, which are, are adult friendly too. To that sounds good. And you would have your two pasta bites. You'd have some pizza involved. You have some salad. I made those deep dish pizza bites the other day for um, an adult party. And I had to go back into the kitchen and make a whole nother batch because the men were like devouring them. I was like, I only allotted two to three per person. That's I kind of like try to, you know, source the crowd and make sure I've, I've got enough for everybody, but not too much so that they'll enjoy a little bit of everything. So 
Yes. So then I would also make a sweet treat. And my favorite sweet treat is or for that kind of a di- meal or menu are the chocolate cheesecake strawberry bites. So it's a very simple chocolate cheesecake mixture that you um, put into a hollowed out strawberry half. And they're just they, they're very satisfying. It's just a little sweet treat to end the meal um, or in the evening. And you're very satisfied with one or two of them. How many muffin tins do I need to be owning to do this? <laughs> An arsenal. Right. And you need the mini ones. And the, yeah. yeah. Right. When we were pre-orders for the book, we actually gave away mini muffin pans. That was one of the pre-order um, gifts that we gave out because it's used in a lot of these recipes. It just, it, it makes it the, like, it gives people the right tool to use to make it the bite size that it needs to be. Yeah. And I think you'll use the muffin pan for this more than you'll make muffins. Yeah. Yes. yes. I use, I definitely use our muffin pans for more than I, well, our kids do love muffins, but I use them for a lot more than I do for making muffins. So. Mm-hmm. Now is uh, for this dinner party tomorrow is the way that you do it. Do you have like an arsenal of small plastic plates and like, uh, you know, like plastic, uh, cutlery for everybody, or do you have like really nice small plates that you use for this? So that everyone can be what kind of walking around with what they've got. Yeah, it depends on how many people we're having over. The beauty of yeah. this is they don't even need like plasticware. You really do not need like utensils. And you could get away with just cocktail napkins. Just bev naps, I huh? Do a lot. It's all very finger food friendly. And you take a bite and you and uh, but I do put out little appetizer plates. If it's a large crowd, if I have like, I would say probably 12 or more people, I'd put out um some of these nice, I have these like gold rim paper plates that have little ruffles around them. They're very like entertaining. Um, I have these little bites that are little cocktail napkins that say love at first bites. So I keep kind of a stock of that for sure for yeah. entertaining purposes. But if it's a small crowd, I'd say, you know, 12 or under, or even, you know, six, eight of us, I will put out just little, I have little white appetizer plates or salad plates um, and some napkins. And that's all there is to it. You don't need, I, I do put out some food picks every once in a while or toothpicks to easily, you know, serve yourself if you need it, depending on the bite. Um, otherwise it, it keeps it very simple, minimal as far as, um, serveware and dishes that are required. I think that's a really good adult upgrade, right. To, to move past the roll of paper towels in the middle of the table, yeah. you know, to actually have like some nice, uh, and, and disposable, you know, like, so you're not really you know saddled with the stack of dirty dishes and the sink, but really have, you know, some elegant, uh, upgradable or compostable plates, right? The, you know, the bamboo are really yeah. nice. They make some really yes. you know, beautiful ones out of that material, but they have nice cocktail napkins and kind of have that as a setup. I think it's great. Yeah. I keep a good little stash. There you go. And cleanup sounds just divine yeah, that's you, what I'm talking as the guy who has to cook and who has to do the dishes, uh, in my fit, in my house, this sounds like, uh, right up my alley. I, I like this idea a lot. Yeah. That's why I try to prep everything. And most of these don't require a ton of dishes to even make, but I try to prep it in advance. And like, if it needs to be warm, I'll keep it in a 200 degree oven warming. I'll get everything just kind of set in the kitchen. So really afterwards, it is so simple to just let everyone toss their napkins and plates and call it a night. There you go. And how many pieces per person is a really good rule of thumb? Yeah. I mean, so if it's an appetizer, I will usually do two to three different bites and then a lot like two to three per person. So you get kind of a good assortment depending on how big the bites are. If it's for a meal, I will do closer to four or five total recipe bites and then a lot about one to two per person. But 
Um, sometimes I'll just make one, like the charcuterie board cracker bites I made the other night. And I did two to three per person and they were gone and that was it. It was kind of nice because then we moved on to our meal. Um, so I usually say like two to three per person. And I, th- I think I would eat 10 of those while I'm walking around talking to people. <laughs> it's it, you know, well, people, you? Like it's 10. kind of a nice way to like, okay, they're gone. Yeah. We're moving on to the meal. We're not going <laughs> to. Especially if that is dinner, I'm going to eat yeah. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, I, I, I just love this. Make a board. Right. I, I just love this idea because I mean, for a lot of our parties and, and dinner parties and stuff, we, we all come together to play games. And so when you have a dinner party with a sit down at a table and you, then you're not doing the game things and you're eating and then you're like, okay, now we'll go to play the game. And I like this, that you can be like, this is all just to me to be able to get in bed earlier, but I can come over, <laughs> get your plate, come over to the couch. Now we yeah. start, you know, yeah. Yeah. the party's from five 30 to six 15. <laughs> yeah. I like my sleep, Tyler. All right. I need my me beauty too, sleep. man. Oh my God. Man. Early. Yeah. yeah. Am I getting old? I don't Yeah, I love going to bed. Eight well, o'clock, eight thirty, boom. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah. All right, Megan Brown, thank you so much for coming on Two Dudes Aww. in a Kitchen. Um, you've got a best-selling book uh, out called Beautiful Boards, and of course, the new one is called Brilliant Bites. Uh, everyone, uh, run, don't walk to the store to pick up um this cookbook. And if people want to find you on Instagram, it's uh the is it Baker Mama or the Baker Mama? Uh, the Baker Mama. Got it. It's and a then, great Instagram page oh, yeah. to get lost in. You've got so many fantastic ideas. Thank you for all that. I mean, I think when I start looking at that, I'm like, you know, so many people need inspiration like that. Mm-hmm. And you're just providing good stuff. You're putting Thank good work out there in the world. Thank you. It's fun. It's fun to yeah. share. All right. So Megan, what's next? Oh gosh. I mean, I feel like I just have to enjoy this, this release of this book works so hard um, to bring this to life. So just enjoying it, sharing it with the world and um, you know, you never know what tomorrow brings. Everyone go check out Megan over at thebakermama.com. Go grab the books, beautiful boards and brilliant bites out right now. Thank you again, Megan, so much for coming on two dudes in a kitchen. Thank you all so much for having me. It was a pleasure. Great to meet you. Bye. All right, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we are going to have the classically trained restaurant chef and number one New York Times bestselling author, Joshua Weissman on Two Dudes in the Kitchen. You do not want to miss this. Stick around. Let's hit it. Give me a vacation. Vacation. Give me a wave. Surfing. Give me a city tour. The trolley. Give me animals. The zoo. Give me some sea life. <laughs> Give me museums. Park. Give me a woo. What's that spell? San Diego. If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your family vacation at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. 
It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleha Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to, to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, welcome back to Two Dudes in a Kitchen. We are turning it into Three Dudes in a Kitchen. Our guest today, a classically trained uh, restaurant chef and number one New York Times best-selling author. He's got a new cookbook coming out in just a couple of days called Texture Over Taste. Joshua Weissman, how are you, man? I am excellent. Thank you guys for having me. I'm uh, I'm honored. Yeah, brother. First of all, how you been? And I don't know if everybody out there in Two Dudes in a kitchen land know that I've known you for a long time. Yeah, it's true. It's true. I have a, I, I don't know if you guys saw that old photo of us. We have this great old photo of me uh, uh, as a wee baby. Uh, a wee baby, bro. A wee, literal wee baby. What somehow Tyler's, it? somehow Tyler managed to look exactly the same. I don't know how <laughs> that's, that's what I possible. said. <laughs> I got the Benjamin Button disease, man. Dude, that's crazy. You actually look younger now, which is crazy. <laughs> I'm, I, dude, I'm, I'm trying. So tell everybody like where this picture is from, right? Because I, I, for the life of me, because I'm, I'm on book tour, but this is a different book. Was this your, whose book was this? This was your book. That was one of my books. You were key, the Slim Power, the paleo book, right? Yeah. Was that, book was, that was like, I don't even know how I got that book deal. It's a funny story around that, which I can tell you guys. Uh, that was for, a, you were keynote speaking at a school and somehow or, 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 or it wasn't a school. It was for a whole. It was, it was Houston, right? Was this Houston? Yes, it was Houston. Yeah. All I know is you were keynote speaking for this really big event. I don't know if it was a school district. I don't know if it was like an entire educational system, but I know that you were keynote speaking at this event in Houston that I happened to be there like signing books. Uh, and, but there were a bunch of authors that were signing books uh, and uh, you were the keynote speaker for it. Everyone was very excited. I remember when you came in, it was like, the president walked in. <laughs> Everyone's uh, like scrambling around. Like there was like somebody's assistant was like, and they're like <laughs> falling over and shit. That's one of it's my kind of favorite, Well, that's one of my favorite things about book tours, right? Is you get a chance to just go hang out and meet people. Right. And, and uh, like I, between food network and 17, you know, uh, 16 cookbook tours. Like I, I feel, you know, so proud to know most of America and know most major American cities. But then you get a chance to bump into people, especially on the come up. So you you had just published your first cookbook, and it was all about that the slim palate paleo cookbook. And you wrote that specifically for a reason. It's a dietary reason, right? If I remember correctly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a great great memory. So basically, the the POV for that book was 
I had lost all this weight. I lost like 120 pounds when I was 16. And so somehow I managed to get, maybe it was the story had gotten to the publisher and publishers like, oh, this could blow up. And they gave me an opportunity uh, to write a book that was sort of like about how to eat well, while also, you know, trying to be healthy, trying to keep your body healthy. And you were 18. Um, how old were you with this? I was eight, 17, 17. <laughs> 17, 17 years old. You know what I was doing when I was seven? I was pooping my pants when I was 17. <laughs> Whoa, who, wait, who, wait, who writes pause, a cookbook pause. when you're 17 years old? What were you doing, Wells, when you were 17? I was smoking weed. I wasn't pooping my pants, man. <laughs> yeah, he would smoke <laughs> weed. Smoking and weed. Yeah, I was doing all that kind of stuff, man. I certainly wasn't like writing cookbooks at the age of 17. So you <laughs> had that how fire in your belly for a long time. This is what I'm getting at. No, nobody's. No, nobody's pooping in their pants, but like, but you had that fire in your belly for a long time. And that's what I like about that. Cause it's the second I met you, uh, at, at, yeah, I get, were you 17 or 18 when this book came out? I'm not sure. 17. When. Yeah, yeah. yeah, 17. Wow, man. Yeah. I started writing it when I was like 16 and then I remember publishing it around 17. Uh, and then that was kind of the whole beginning of it. I mean, the funny thing is that book did horribly, of course, cause I didn't have any sort of an audience at that time. Uh, but it was a great practice and, uh, I was proud to do it at, you know, being so young, it was a big deal for me then. Um, and so not, not to say that any other book that I've done wasn't a big deal to me, but it was a, definitely a surreal moment. And are you still paleo? No, 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 <laughs> Hell no, no, that went out the window about a year after that book came out. Um, yeah. I mean, look, I, you know, the best way I could describe that is you got to find your route to whatever works for you. Right. And that worked for me. And so I, that's what I wrote about. And uh, I was 17. So a lot of things happen to you, as everybody knows, as you grow older and you learn more and you strategize differently. And, you know, I, I just don't need to diet anymore. I go to the gym regularly and I, and I eat well, and I'm going to, you know, if there's a donut in front of me. I'm not going to be like, Oh, I'm going to eat the donut. You know, eat the donut, eat the donut, eat the donut. It's fine. Yeah. It's literally it's fine. fine. Eat the donut. Don't eat a bunch of donuts, but eat the donut. Okay, so so you know somewhere in this uh, uh, passage of life, this journey that you've been on, you got really smart, and so I, I think your your recipe content, I think your YouTube page, I think your um, your style of delivery, it's somewhere between like science and technique. I think you're always you're insatiably curious when it comes to cooking, it comes to food, but I think you start dropping this knowledge. Like, where do you get your research from when you're starting to like develop content like this? Well, I appreciate that. For the record, for people who are watching, I've been a big fan of Tyler. So it's cool to be here uh, hearing these things. Feels like a full circle moment for me. Um, but to answer the question, I mean, you know, I, well, I went and worked in restaurants almost immediately after that book. Once I, that was part of the reason why I was like this paleo thing. I don't have time for this shit. I was working in restaurants busting my ass. I don't have time to be like, hey, do you, can you like not put any seed oils on that? No, you don't have time for that. I was eating shit out of court containers on my knees. Uh, but anyway, so, you know, I went and worked in restaurants immediately. Uh, and my whole goal was, I just want to be the best that I can be. And I'll, I'll listen to anything. I'm never going to let my ego get in the way of learning something. And even if I think I know how to do something, if someone even if someone's, I don't know, a year extra of, of uh, knowledge than I have in restaurants, uh, doesn't matter. I'm open to hearing it. And I learned very quickly that there's a million ways to skin a cat. 
with every single thing and that a true master knows that there's never one way to do something great. And uh, I just absorbed as much knowledge as I could. And I hyper obsessed over it to the point where I was just, you know, I mean, everybody has this story going into restaurants, right? You're working six, maybe seven days a week. You're maybe we're, you know, pulling 13, 14 hour days, but I was like hyper obsessed. And so I feel like I gathered, uh, I'd already had a pretty large wealth of knowledge from reading a lot of books. I started really young. And so all the way from, I don't know, as soon as I could read to to 17, I was already had a pretty jam-packed level of scientific knowledge around food from reading hundreds of cookbooks about it. Um, but restaurants like made it all connect for me. And so when I decided to no bullshit, ego out of the way, be a sponge, the highest level I could possibly be um, day in, day out, seven days a week, 16 hours a day, go home and keep cooking. I was sleeping like four, five hours a night. I don't know why I did that to myself, but I, I, you know, it had helped me a lot because I ended up gathering a lot more knowledge at a younger age because of that. Um, and so a lot of it comes from that. And then anything that I don't have the, the dots connected for, because I'm not going to sit back and say, oh, I know everything. Of course not. Nobody, there's always more to learn. But yeah. I that's had the beautiful thing about food. Yeah. That's never the had. beautiful thing about food because it always drives you. It always drives you. And even when you think you know, there's always something that surprises you. There's always something else you. to learn. Yeah. yeah. It never, it never is going to end. Um, but the beautiful thing on to, besides that is once you really get to mastering that type of a craft, you almost have this like invisible web in front of you of like partially connected dots. And then you hear or you learn one other thing and you're like, oh, this also applies to some other technique or some other recipe. And mm -hmm. then you just connected two dots with one piece of information. And so it's like context clues. So I guess maybe I'm just good at, at applying that. Um, and I, that's the best way I could answer that. And then you kind of move in from uh, recipes to instinct when it comes to cooking. And then you just let your technique take over, right? So you, for folks that are listening at home, and this is probably getting a little kind of inside baseball, but but like, let's just make it simple. And you're going to open up your fridge right now, and and you're going to make something really delicious for dinner. I don't know what you got in there. Uh, maybe you got some good pork sausage. Maybe you don't, right? Maybe you got some like really good kale. It's kale season, right? You got maybe some pasta. You've got like a little bit of Dijon mustard. You got a little bit of heavy cream, right? Parmesan cheese or something. Put that together in a dish. Yeah. I mean, I would, I might, I might not even use the cream. Maybe I would just par cook the pasta and then use the starch water and reduce it down by half in like a saute pan, one that's wide enough with enough surface area. So it reduces quickly enough and then add my par cooked pasta that sort of extracts more starch. So now you have this like really nice slurry. Um, and prior to that, I would have cooked my pork in the same pan too. So you get, pick up all that fond. And while that's reducing, you you pour all that pork fat, all that sausage back in, that's going to emulsify with that water. And then uh -huh. once everything's nice and creamy, almost like a pasta alla gricia, and then you cut the heat, you add the Parmigiano or Parmesan, you emulsify that in, keep adding it until it tastes right, finish it. And then maybe some uh, that kale you could either have massaged and put in raw and let it wilt in there, or maybe you, maybe you um, blanch it and then add it at the end. So mm -hmm. it doesn't get the sauce all green looking, which I hate. Um, and then just serve it as is a little extra parm on top and boom, there you go. It's almost like a 
Alagricha. You could add the cream maybe if you want extra richness, but I love um I love the texture of of the whenever pork fat or or animal fat emulsifies with that pasta starch. It's so good. Yeah, and a little, little mustard in there to kind of cut the heat, you know, like yeah. cut the fat and like little. Oh yeah, I forgot about the right? mustard. Yeah, maybe a little tiny maybe, touch. Like, yeah, almost yeah, kind of feels that like stroganoff a little bit, right? Yeah, that's fun. Yeah, I like that. So this is where like cooking just becomes this labor of love that you don't have to think about that. And I think it takes practice. It just takes practice, right? So your book, your new book, by the way, which, which um, tell, please tell your, your PR folks, thank you for sending it. It's yeah, great, by the way. Um, super, I mean, just the photography is beautiful. I've had a chance because I just got it yesterday. I haven't had a chance to really kind of dive into it yet, but the photography is just stunning. And I, I really like, you know, the, the questions behind the questions, right? Like the, like what is fluid, you know, it starts talking about like, you know, different things about that. Like, you know, things that you know, asparagus soup or caramelized onion miso and dinner, diner style milkshakes. And you kind of like bank these things up together because it's one big category when it comes to sort of when you're thinking about, uh, you know, putting together something that, that feels like, like, like a soup or a milkshake or something, cause it's all kind of the same thing. So I think the way you come at this is so refreshing and so interesting. It doesn't read like a menu. It reads like a scientist is putting together a collection of perfect techniques. And I think this is going to be a hit. I think this is the, your next number one New York times bestseller. I'm calling <laughs> it now. I'm calling the fence. I'm calling the fence, bro. I appreciate that. Thank you. For yeah. That. That is what it's about. It is about, it is about technique, but it's also about eating. You know, I think a lot of people are sometimes on the fence about getting a cookbook, even though they might be interested in one because they're like, well, but am I going to cook out of it? I think that the goal of this book was also to help people enjoy food more, not just cook, you know, and, and don't get me wrong. Of course, the cooking aspect, right? That's number one, but Simultaneously, I think that if someone were to read through this book and maybe they never cook ever, that's fine. Because I think that the information about the textures will make you think more about your eating experiences. And my whole thought process and, and why I've continued to push so hard with everything is I don't care as much about people cooking. I think I have this weird, like insatiable desire for people to see food through my lens and enjoy it like I do. Because I'm like, yeah, just understand it. Yeah. Or, yeah. Or, yeah. And like how much it improves your life. Everybody has to eat every fucking day. Mm -hmm. And it's an opportunity to, even if it increases your daily life by 5%, that is so much over the course of your life. And so I think that that's something this book could help provide is just a little context around some things that is half the experience of eating, which is texture. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I remember one of my old editors, uh, Pam Krause from Random House, where we, we were, you know, she was sort of editing my work and I had this sort of kind of big thought. I can't remember what the subject matter was, but she, was, she said, you got to trim this down. It's over everybody's head. No one's going to get it. And I'm like, let's just talk about the difference between doing it and knowing how to do it. Right. So I think sometimes just like having the knowledge of like knowing how to do a particular technique, let's just say you're never going to make it because something feels too complicated for whatever reason, especially when it comes to cooking, because some things do, you know, sometimes you are kicking the ball over everybody's head a little bit. Right. But I, I think the, uh, the the recipe book and the content will never run out of gas. It's never too simple, right? It's never too simple if it's perfect. If the outcome, if if the juice is worth the squeeze. Yeah, I 100% agree. Now, this next thing. So statistics show that when somebody buys a cookbook, they'll use about five recipes. 
right? So they'll flip through it and go, you know, wow, what a beautiful book. These recipes look really fantastic. Here's five that really speak to me. What are the five recipes in this book that people have to look out for? Ooh, that's a good question. I would say for sure the donuts, as funny as that sounds. I think there's so much nostalgia around a donut. And I think mm-hmm. that it it's a remarkable feeling when you make your own and you're like, holy, f- these are actually just as good as, you know, any other donut that I've had before. And I did that. Um, so the donuts... Um, I think the Brazilian style picanha, just because it's it's a fun way to serve steak. I love you picanha. Know, it's it's a flex, you know. Yeah. It's a big flex when you pull up to the family event and you start carving that, especially on a big sword like that. Like, so tell yeah. everybody what that cut is. Well, let's jump into that for a second. Tell everybody what that specific picanha cut. Yeah, uh, so it's the cap of the sirloin. You know, the funny thing about it is it's not the most tender cut, but what I love about it is. The intramuscular fat that it has is unreal. I think it's one of the most flavorful cuts. And also sirloin is already as it is. And this is the cap. So it's almost like the fattier part of it. It's Mm -hmm. a little chewier, but it's got that juiciness. It's got that flavor. Um, And in my opinion, because it's typically comes in a pretty big piece, it's a little harder to overcook. So it's surprisingly easy to cook, especially if you do it Brazilian style or Churrasco style, where it's like sort of cut along the grain and then mm-hmm. wrapped like that. And you could put it on a skewer, it, it, you know, granted the sword is way cooler. So if you happen to have a sword that you can grill with. And this is what off. you would see if you went to a Brazilian steakhouse. hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, you're paying like 10 X the cost there, but like, Hey, you could do it yourself for mm-hmm. less. Uh, and that that's the knowledge there. So that definitely that one. Um, I think another one is, you know, if you want to get a little fancy, the Hamachi Crudo, I really love. It's very basic. It's not that complicated and there's no cooking involved. Um, and then I think the, the Birria Tacos for sure. Oh my God. Birria Tacos are having a moment. They are on TikTok, especially. I feel like every other TikTok is about some guy making Birria Tacos. Oh yeah. That's like one of my most viewed taco videos ever. People love, love those. I remember when I, I, I had posted a TikTok about them a while back and they popped off. I think that it's just one of those things. It's an evergreen piece of content. It's always going to perform because who doesn't love saucy, cheesy tacos that mm-hmm. have crazy yeah. cheese pulls? Yeah, you, you just, you don't love Christmas. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's also like, but they're red. I, 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 I get really deep into the psychology of like what makes people tick in the world of visuals and food. Man, the color red does something to people. It just does. Same I mean, with bulls. Yeah. They also say in hospitality that it's like, oh, red is supposed to make people hungry. I don't know how true that is, but visually, you know, red crispy taco. Yeah, I'm into it. Hmm. Um, so Beery tacos, man, I'm thinking about what else. Oh, the Texas toast cheeseburgers. So that's an Oklahoma style smash patty where you put the really thin uh, onions on top of the, the bald ground beef. You press the onions into the beef and they get kind of charred. Some mm-hmm. some get mm-hmm. a little burnt, but nice. White Castle style. Yeah, almost. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. basically. Um, so good. Super, super good. And if you're not into onions, I think that's a great burger where you can enjoy the flavor of an onion without really knowing that they're in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I do believe that people who don't like onions do. They just need it in the right context. Ready? Okay. 
Give me a beach. Beach. Give me great food. Tacos. Give me adventure. Hiking. Give me a date night. Sunset cruise. Give me some smiles. Cheese. Give me more beaches. Beaches. What's that spell? San Diego. If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleha Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., we dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to, to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Talking about the, the title of this book, what makes texture so important when it comes to cooking and eating? I, I mean, I think probably Tyler can can see this one too. It's like, I'll give I'll give a brief story about working in restaurants that kind of I think shed the light for me. And that is like when you work in fine dining, a lot of the time you kind of have to recreate everything. Like there is no guideline to what you're doing. You kind of have to use context clues and all sorts of things. But whenever you make, let's use a burger, for example. Whenever you make a burger, a burger is like a set of directions that already are pre-existing. It's ground beef, it's a patty, it's gotta have color on the patty and there are two buns and maybe a sauce, right? Maybe some toppings. It kind of, the recipe already exists. You can just play with the little pieces that are in that. But when you work in fine dining, a lot of the time, it's like, you kind of have to build the structure. There is no texture. You may have a flavor in mind. You may have a great tasting sauce, but without texture, there's no structure. So chefs focus a lot on texture to build great plates that are going to sell and so on and so forth. And so it's pleasure. Yeah. It's the best part. It's, it's checking that last box. Like I, I think making something taste good is easy. Yep. But, but really, you know, having this beautiful texture where it's like hot versus cold or it's crispy versus creamy or it's creamy or it's effervescent, you know, ethereal moosiness. I think the texture is like super important. It's, it's like, it's absolutely key. And mm -hmm. so it's like the yin to the yang. 
And most people use texture as a secondary thought. But for chefs, a lot of the time, it's the primary thought because flavor is like, if you don't have that down to a T and you're in a chef or a line cook position, you're going to struggle. Flavor is easy, but texture requires technique to execute. It requires an understanding of the end experience. It, re it requires being a great eater as well. And so um, that I felt like I wanted to focus on texture because everybody has focused on the easiest thing to focus on in cookbooks most of the time which is flavor, which I think is important and we need to. But I wanted to make something that felt a little different and helped people understand a new layer or an, uh, not a new layer, but another layer of food that's so important. Like I said, uh, very much the other half of the experience. And so I focused on texture for this book. And uh, I mean, full transparency. Also, I'm like, you know, to be really real, I'm talking to my publisher and we're like, we have to make something a little different. And I'm looking at all the cookbooks. I'm like, I don't know, like all these, so I feel like everything's been written about. And mm -hmm. that, that was the light bulb for me was going, Oh, wait a minute. Nobody has talked about texture. Like, yes, they have, but they've never like focused on it truly as a primary function as a topic. Um, because it's kind of weird to write about. And well, give, so, give some listeners like some examples of texture, kind of what you're talking about. Right. Cause I, I think the takeaway and the take home for the stuff is really important. Like, so just like, talk about what's, what is good texture on what specifically? Totally. So I, you know, in the book, I broke it down into six main categories. Obviously there are many, 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 many textures, right? These are main categories that you could create multitude of subcategories. I won't get into that because it's, will take forever, but you know, I see texture kind of as something that you can combine, right? It's about balancing the food that you're making. So maybe you have this great cauliflower puree that's really nice and smooth and velvety and creamy. And maybe you're serving it with, I don't know, a steak, right? So you got this really, really unbelievably soft velvety sauce and a steak. And somehow not everything is there. Like you're experiencing it, it tastes good. It tastes amazing, but you just wish that there was something else there. Crispy shallots. Exactly. Exactly. That's exactly what I was going to say. Crispy shallots. There you go. That, just favorite right there. Mm -hmm. Uh, or, or maybe, or maybe you do like a seasoned sweet potato chip you crush on top, you know, or yeah. maybe you do like a, I don't know, if you want to go for salty sweet, maybe there's like some sort of spicy kettle corn you could throw on top of it if you're feeling like really crazy. But ultimately it's like that thought process of being like, oh, crunch, right? Give it some structure. There's no structure. Give it some structure. Mm -hmm. And that's an example of how texture completely changes an eating experience. For every bite that you have, should you have all of the different types of texture in one bite? Like... You have that velvety, um, the velvety sauce, then you have like, the chewiness of the steak, and then you have the crunch of of you know the the crispy shallots. Like, is that what you're what you're hoping that the consumer is experiencing? Every bite has all of these different textures. I think in some cases, yes, but also like maybe it, it it's about amplifying just one texture. I don't think that there's any rules around it. I think it's just about making an experience that everybody will enjoy or as many people will enjoy them. You know, maybe some people don't even like crunch as much as they like another texture, but I very much enjoy making plates that are built for the perfect bite where you have that, you know, a little piece of hamachi, a little piece of crispy shallot, a little mm -hmm. bit of sauce, a little bit of, you know, uh, Castle Patrono olive, and it's all in one bite. It's just like this boom, 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 boom uh, experience when you eat. So that's how I like to eat, but I just want people to know, what makes the food that they enjoy so great and how they can focus and hone in on 
the elements that make it great. And if that means having the perfect bite, then there you go. I, I think that, that if you had to describe texture, it would be like a piece of peanut butter toast, right? So, so you've got the, and, and, and toast tastes the best right before it's burnt. That's where it's, it's the best, the best, not light toast, but like kind of dark toast, right? And then a really good lick of butter and then, uh, and then creamy peanut butter, or if you want to go crunchy peanut butter at the same time, but you kind of cut that into it and you get this contrast between like the moussey peanut butter, the richness from the butter itself, and then the crispiness of the toast. I think that is pure enjoyment, pure enjoyment. So if you had like an undercooked piece of toast, it was just sort of like halfway toasted and it was in contrast or not contrast, but it was like equilibrium with the, 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 the fattiness of the peanut butter. It wouldn't be as good. It's not as fun. You want to give your, you want to give your teeth something to chunk into, to bite into. And I think that's how we always kind of think about kind of, you know, landing the plane on a really delicious bite of food is about the texture. It's, it's the last thought, but I think it's the most important. I agree. Don't don't forget about peeling. When you peel the, the soft bread from the roof of your mouth. Also, there's no like structure holding it. I love that. I love it whenever you put peanut butter on a hot piece of toast and it's like par melted too. Oh my mm-hmm. God. Yeah. It's right. It's insane. It Classic yeah. comp. Can I ask maybe a stupid question, but I, I'm, you guys are, it, this is highbrow stuff, I feel like. So <laughs> I, I think I need to bring it down for I all love the listeners stupid out there. questions. Okay. So what are the different types of texture when it comes to food? Like I've heard crunchy now and I've heard like silky smooth, but are, what are the other ones? So I think that there's hundreds, if not thousands of different textures. I think that there are too many to count, but the way I broke it down in my book was I broke it down into six main textures and everything after the fact is either a subcategory or like a, an underlying more like specific texture. These are the main textures that everyone knows and can experience that makes sense. So obviously there's crunchy, which I think is my personal favorite. I don't know if you guys have a favorite one. Uh, I have a chapter for fluid, which that counts kind of anything that the primary focus of what makes it good is the the liquid state of it, right? Maybe it's a soup, maybe it's a milkshake, but it's the fact that it's a liquid that makes it what it is. So that's fluid. Then there's creamy. And so many things encapsulate creamy. I think there are a lot of subcategories to creamy, more than maybe we could even recount it, even we spent days on it. Uh, But, you know, that would be things like heavy cream is, is the example, right? But uh, dairy fat has a lot of that, but things can be creamy without dairy fat. Uh, and then you have chewy, which is kind of an underrepresented texture, especially in the United States, because we don't really recognize chewy as much mm, like as noodles. other places. Yeah. Right. Like no- noodles are chewy. Noodles are yeah. chewy. Yeah. Southeast Asian countries love chewy stuff. I mean, intestines are chewy, right? Mm-hmm. Like great. Right. But they are. Sure are. <laughs> they are, yeah. you know, like a great like bowl of pho. Tripe. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Chewy. A great bowl of pho with tripe yeah. in it. I mean, you right. know, that's, that's squidgy. A I, was, I, was, I call that squidgy. Squid. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's a squidgy. Yeah. Um, like cartilage. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then there's, and then there's fatty. Fatty is kind of, I think it's, it's, I think it's a very singular texture. I do think there are subcategories to it, right? There's like, there's slimy. There's like, there's uh maybe like you brought up cartilage, little bit cartilage is is kind of like an in-between texture between like crunchy and fatty uh collagen kind of has like a gluey fatty texture to it as well but fatty can be anything pork belly is fatty um and so like ultimately 
all these different textures, I think, create a tree, right? So like if we were to take crunchy, for example, and create a tree underneath it, like let's look at some of the subcategories that are in that. Like maybe is it crispy crunchy or is it like crackly crunchy? You know, mm. the difference between, let's say a potato chip crunchy versus like a peanut brittle crunchy, super different, right? It's like dense, it's a density thing. Yeah, the, one's, one's it, moosier, one's has more of a snap to it. And we talk about the difference between as like a garnish thing, like we, we just did this uh, new oyster at Miller and Lux. And, uh, and there was a, there was a, a quick little sort of fun debate over uh, vegetable crispy or fried shallot crispy. Like what were we really going for? Was it like a brunoise of cucumber or was it something that was like crispy on top of that from a texture standpoint? And then the vegetable crispy won out because it was, it was a nicer texture. Yeah. It yeah. sustains better too. Right. Cause like yeah. if it's sitting on that oyster or in a brine or whatever, it's not going to lose its crunch. It's there no yeah. matter what. And it folds um, in. It, it's not. It's sort of like there for no reason. Yeah. The, yeah. Cucumber and oyster. It tastes great. Yeah. I also love green apple with oyster too. So good. That's the new one. We're doing this like new. It's like a a, a green apple mignonette um, with a green apple shiso foam. Amazing. The new oysters coming out to be fire. I love that. Well, oysters are so fun. I always feel like oyster specials are the one that all the line cooks look forward to around with because it's just like hell yeah, texture wonderland, baby. And I either want to go there and make them crazy or I, I want to leave them alone and just make a really super classic mignonette and just put them out because I'm proud of the oyster. How do you feel about putting uh not the left turn here? How do you feel about cold stuff like granitas on oysters? Are you for or, or, or against that? I think it depends, right? Like not this time of year, I wouldn't do it, right? Because it's just like if, if it were, you know, if you did like a Bloody Mary granita or if you did, you know, um, a... Um, uh, um, um, like a, a lime granita or something that, you know, that would feel kind of like complimentary from an ass standpoint that would really kind of work. I think you could make something really interesting with that, but I wouldn't want to eat that in the summer. Yeah. I would want it to be hot out to really kind of make that make sense. Cantaloupe. I've had cantaloupe granita over top oh, of shellfish before, so which good. is kind of fabulous. And that melon, with, you know, chili flakes and that kind of stuff. It's nice. Melon like flavors are really good. I did one that was like a cucumber zoo granita. So I did like a sushi zoo and then I made a cucumber uh, consomme mm -hmm. and which was really just cucumber juice that I like let sit with a little citric acid and let it separate. It wasn't that crazy, but, uh, but I set, I mixed that with the, with the zoo and made a granita out of that. And that was really good. I think melon like flavors go weirdly well with oysters. Oh, it's so good. Yeah. Cause it, it's that little bit of sugar contrast with the salty brine. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. So good. So good. Sorry, I'm like, I'm like sidestepping here because you're in my passion of oyster world. So <laughs> for everyone out there wondering what the hell they're talking about, I had to look it up. Granita <laughs> is a semi-frozen dessert made from sugar, water and various flavorings. So it's like shaved ice. I, I it's shaved ice. Yeah, it's granita. Okay. But you, you, you yeah. can kind of make this like nice. But, but we're talking about texture, right? So the cool thing about that, you get this like soft, blubbery oyster with this like crispy, snappy flavored ice that kind of keeps the oyster cold at the same time, but kind of gives you that zing pop. Wow. That the round flavor texture and with everything else that kind of that you'd want with a great oyster experience. So you can just kind of turn that into something that's like, you know, thematic. I feel it's bad nice. for him because we're, we're nerding out over here and he's just sitting there like, this is awful. <laughs> this is awful. Well, as you've seen Ratatouille, right? Of course. Yeah. Okay. So that, that moment when Remy the rat, right. Mm -hmm. And his uh, very unfortunate brother, right. He's sharing that moment where he tastes the cheese and the yeah. strawberry at the same time. That's what Josh and I do when we taste food every day. 
Am I right? Yeah, we close our eyes and literally the whole world is dark and we start hallucinating. Well, well it's just it just becomes <laughs> like this like thing because you start experiencing stuff because you just have to get really good at it, right? Um, but it's just a lot of you know when you taste something, it's like how does this kind of make you feel? And then you know, I, I having a couple of restaurants, I've got a, you know an army of these like nerdy folks that I spend you know most of my time talking to all day long, and and like what are we gonna do with this like new cool thing? So we're doing like for example, we're do, uh, New York City Food and Wine Festival is coming up. Uh, we're gonna be there. We're doing this oyster roast. Uh, we have these uh, uh, sugar shack oysters, which I've never tasted before. They're one of the uh, vendors that are donating the oysters, but they're coming from uh, southern New Jersey and sort of like the mid-Atlantic area. So that's going to be kind of fun. And we're going to roast them over uh, a live wood fire. Whoa. Growing up in the South. He's and so Wells, may, maybe you, did you ever go to an oyster roast when you were a kid? Did you ever do that? No. So, well, I say I grew up in South Carolina, especially when I was going to uh, college in Charleston, right? Mm-hmm. So around the fall, this time of year, you would take the oysters uh, from the riverbank, hose them down, no mud, and then you put them on this like really like like rudimentary fire thing. It's usually a piece of steel over a three cinder block side stove with just wood underneath it, and it's the, and it's uh, and the, the top of it gets super hot. And you take the oysters, you um you put them on top of the piece of steel cover them with a burlap bag soaked in salt water and then they steam right and this is where we're talking about texture so some people don't like raw oysters i love all oysters but the texture of one that's not overcooked and rubbery but just cracked open jesus is that a pleasurable experience yeah Yeah. that's so good so we're we're, the best it's the best way to eat an oyster just steamed open and just and they're easy to shuck, easy to crack. And then uh, we're going to serve that with a, a smoked potato cream out of an ISI gun. Love it. Right. I'm, and then I'm, a little I'm bit of caviar. watering right now. I'm Isn't not. that really good? So a little bit of chervil and then a little bit of like uh, chive oil on the outside. But but with like that was a 15, a half an hour conversation yesterday with Matt Macera, our corporate culinary director on all the details of making that really fabulous because that's where you really get them. That's why because making something tastes good. Okay, cool. Now let's jump into texture. And then that's where that mind-blowing culinary experience is the gift you give to people because you get with them when they put a spoon in their mouth. And they're like, oh my God, that's when it's fun. Yeah. Okay. So, so for all the for all the li- listeners at home who aren't like Michelin star, uh, James Beard award winning, <laughs> super dorky chef guy like you guys are when you, when they're at home making something, um, cause you talked about it and it's so, it's so fascinating because I, I consider myself a good cook, but I don't, I don't eat something then close my eyes and be like, what do I need? Like, I don't, so what do you, what do you do? What are some of the rules, I guess, to like figuring out how to make texture really pop with your food? Cause normally people are just reading recipes, right? Like they're just kind of just going along with the flow, but you guys are always like playing jazz in the kitchen. So like, I feel like it starts with eating, honestly, Okay. before, before you start applying. I mean, obviously there's info in the book about that, but mm-hmm. uh, I mean, aside from that, I think you just have to think more of when you're eating and think about the things that you like texturally when you go out to a nice restaurant or, or even if it's not a nice restaurant, if you just have something, you maybe there's an ice house that's near you that you go and you love their BLT. Why do you love their BLT, right? BLT is such a basic thing. Well, maybe their bacon's really crunchy and it's really just really nice in there. The toast, the bread's really thick, but it's mm-hmm. toasted deep. So it's got a nice crunch on the outside, but the inside's super 
you know, moist and nice and almost like spongy in a good way. Uh, and it's because of the cut on it, because of the toast on it, it's because of the bacon. And that is how you'll start to pick up on it. I think as, as someone who isn't practicing it every day, is just think more when you're eating and spend less time, you know, on your phone and sit down and just enjoy with the food in front of you. And I think it'll naturally come to you because it's not this, I think the way we're talking about it makes it sound really ethereal and specialty, but like, this is something that everybody has. This is something that everybody eats. Um, and it's part of human evolution to enjoy these things. The reason why we like crunch is completely, I'm not going to get into it, but like, there's a whole science behind why we, there's a reason we like these things. And so yeah. we can figure it out. I think it's spicy, sour, salty, sweet. I always think like that, that's sort of like that last little piece of like pop that you can take something from, you know, good to amazing. And my wife, who she and I are going to be celebrating our 18th wedding anniversary coming up in December. She's a great cook. She's a great cook. And she she has, you know, for years will bring me a spoon of something that she's making. And she goes, give me some notes. I'm like, babe, nothing. Jesus. Well, it's great. And then even like the texture that she thinks about putting on top of that, I think that's really, really good. So, for example, do you guys watch the bear? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So the omelet with the potato chip. Yeah. Right. I I made that the other day. You had that? I made it. Yeah. Oh, you made that. That's texture. That's yeah. that's the experience. It doesn't have to be anything you have to like make or concoct or dream up. It could just be t- taking something uh, from the pantry, smashing it and throwing it on top. Like I like chili with Fritos, right? I like mm-hmm. making a really, really good Texas style chili with Fritos crunched up in my hand, thrown on top with sour cream, cheese, cilantro and fresh sliced jalapenos. That's so bomb good. delicious, right? So and so when you kind of bite into something that's like creamy, you kind of get this explosion of texture on the outside that kind of takes it from, okay, that's really good. That that's an incredible experience. And it's just like that last little thought. So, you, you know, so if you've got something that like needs a little, you know, uh, you've got like good steak, you can put Florida cell, which is crunchy salt, right? So that's, that's salty, right? If you want to go spicy, you know, crunchy, uh, jalapeno slices work out really, really well on that. Um, if you want to go, uh, you know, uh, bright and acidic, like lime segments or grapefruit segments on top of that, it's a really nice texture. So you can kind of get some, some different flavor prop. So it's not just about just the, the, the saltiness or the crunchiness, but it's about the, the, that last little boom, or it may be even sometimes the first boom that you're going to taste and let everything else sort of fall kind of underneath that. Um, but it's a really important part of the, the experience when it comes to like, like menu writing, you know, and like recipe creation from a, from a super deep level. I know that we're getting nerdy and, and, and Joshua, thank you for this, bro. Cause sometimes we're talking like, you know, we're talking about, you know, is that cake <laughs> sometimes with our folks we have on, on the podcast. So I, I appreciate kind of going deep with this. Um, but I, I, I think cooking like this is really important. I think it's great. Well, I like what you said, Josh, to kind of wrap it up though. And it's something that I've been trying to do more as I've gotten older and started to appreciate the, you know, the finer meals that I get to go and enjoy, which is like really when I eat, I try to slow down and like really enjoy the thing that I'm eating because we, we do, we tend to do this thing of like rush, 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 throw a bunch of food down our gullets and then get on with our day and stuff. And I do think it's important to like slow down and actually enjoy the thing that is in front of you that you're paying money for that you that you've made and now i'm going to completely think differently now after speaking with you of like okay hold on why do i love this so much oh it's because it's crunchy and it's also savory and all all these things and yeah i'm sure it'll help my crappy cooking but i I think it's a really cool way of like thinking about food Mm -hmm. 
it's even better if it, you know, in, even if it doesn't improve your cooking, which I mean, I think it will, but even if it doesn't improve cooking, like I had said earlier, it's like, you're going to have better eating experiences now, you know, if, and this is applying to people generally, not necessarily just you, but like, just generally, if you're thinking like that, I think you'll just always have better eating experiences, which may lead to, you know, less rushing. It may lead to more slowing down and, you know, smelling the roses and so on and so forth. I don't want to get too philosophical and, you know, <laughs> baby talk here, but like, ultimately, I think that that leads down a road of a lot of just being more of an observational person and experiencing the pleasures of life that are yeah. beyond uh, Instagram reels. And you, you use your mouth from a feeling perspective and not just necessarily from flavor. Like, like how, what's the feeling in my mouth um, when I, when I put this bite of food in my mouth? I'm glad you clarified bite of food at the end of that. Uh, so <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, so like, you know, I mean, I'll go back to crunch again. Cause it's my, it's the easiest to describe and crunch we experience quite literally as a vibration in our skull. That's what's happening. That's why it's so, it's just so, such a verbose texture. So when you bite down on a really nice kettle cooked potato chip, you know, the ones that like mm -hmm. fold up into a ball and it's like an explosion in your mouth. I love mm -hmm. those. Or like hospital um, ice. You guys like hospital ice? You know what I'm talking the, about? Like the oh, pebble ice? Pebble ice, bro. Sonic ice. Love. Sonic ice, Sonic ice, dude. It's I just best. bought I just bought a Pebble ice machine. Greatest yeah. purchase of my life. It's also. similar to Granita, but different. <laughs> Actually, you're, you're, you're you could. I like where you're right. going with that. You're kind of right. I have great compressed Granita. Yeah, I've learned cantaloupe dude. Pebble ice, cantaloupe Pebble ice on the oyster. I think I think with Wells the... should do your next oyster special. <laughs> Have him come in and just just throw him on the line. But this is yeah. this is where this stuff comes from all day. It's like like you know we we had a we have a caviar donut on the menu, right? And it's like somebody said caviar and somebody said donut in the same sentence. I'm like, what? what, 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 what? Like back up. Yeah, we're doing that. Just, we're making a caviar. Want to do something crazy? There was yeah. a pastry chef that I worked with, and she did a foie gras donut, and I was like, that sounds and it was actually incredible. Yeah, one of the best donuts I've ever had. You definitely could taste the foie, but I liked it. It was good. Some mm -hmm. people didn't like it because they couldn't get past the fact that there was like fog gushing into their mouth, but it was very good. We, we uh, have this new uh, canopy on the menu. Uh, it's it's like a, we call it a tuna taco because I think I think you got to get them with the concept and then you got to blow them away with technique, right? So it's a shiso leaf half dipped in tempura batter and then fried. And then we fry it tempura side down and we take a, a wooden dowel and we press it into the oil so it starts to fry up sideways oh, like, a, sick. like a hard taco shell. So cool. You're welcome. And then Love we take that. it. I'm taking that. Let it drain. Take it. And we put a little salt on top of that. And then uh, with uh, 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 bluefin tuna and uh, Asian pear chili crunch. Wow. Right? That sounds insane. And then a little micro shiso on top of that. And so there's a little bit. So the tuna's got a little bit of cupy mayo. You're welcome. You speak and my then, language. Uh, yep. And then, uh, and then the uh, Asian pear chili crunch is, is a condiment that goes on top of the tuna. And then micro shiso. So it's shiso on shiso. So All right. Well, I, I'm hungry now, Joshua. I want to be respectful of your time. I know you got you got to probably do a bunch of these, but the new book is um, called Texture Over Taste. It's available everywhere. October 17th. Where can people find you on social media, YouTube, Instagram, all that kind of stuff? Yeah. I mean, just my name, Joshua Weissman. You can find me on on all socials. Uh, all my handles are pretty easy. Uh, the book is sold everywhere. The books are sold. So if you're looking for the book, you can find it 
quite literally anywhere, thankfully. Uh, I don't know how it's done, but my publisher did it for me, so it's there. Uh, and yeah, it's all good stuff. And the but, best thing I could say is go and eat something that's good and think. Yeah, and brother. And congratulations on everything. Thank you. On everything. Like the second I met you 10, 15 years ago, whenever it was, I knew I'd be talking to you at this level one, one day. Like see you that. at the top, bro. That's that's what I thought when I met you. See I think you, you said I think you said that to me. Pretty sure. This is crazy. Go find that book. Dude, I have to. Did I sign your book? Yes. I think I yeah, signed I, I think I, I, I think I might have said see you at the top. Yeah, yeah. I I think you're actually right. I gotta go find it. If it's in there, I'll send you a pic and we'll see, we'll see what it says. It's Self-time. it'd be funny if it just says like Screw you, Josh. You suck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Says if you're going to come for the king, you better not miss. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, but I, I so respect you, man. I, I just think like you're, you're so much fun to, to watch and like and really kind of pipe in new generation. Right. I mean, like you're like, are you a, are you a millennial? Or are you a Gen Z? Well, how, how do you describe it? I think I'm a zillennial. I'm like, you're a zillennial. Yeah. So we're in between, but like, so, and we were just talking about this the other day. Like we, we did this like TikTok thing. We were like reviewing like TikTok trendy stuff. And, and I, I'm just so happy that, that like kids are into food. Yeah. And then there's a new viral way for them to get information versus, versus reading books, which is a little boring to be honest with you. And you could really kind of bring this to life in a video capacity. And you do such a great job of that. I appreciate that. Thank yeah, you, brother. Means keep on keeping on, man. We got to get together at some point. We'll make it happen for sure. Where are you living now? I'm in Austin, Austin, Texas. Oh, Austin, Texas. Uh, yeah. I'm going to be there for South by. Oh, hit me up. I'm going to hit you up, bro. Yeah, come to the studio. We'll 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 make something. It'll be great. Let's do a collab. Done. You have Let's to see the, the studio. Let's set the internet on fire. Fire, dude. This the the studio we we just finished building is insane. I would love for you to see it. I'm just trying to show everybody I can because I spent of money building and so like i'm like just come see it at least yeah for sure we'll do it can't wait amazing well thank you guys so much for having me thank you so much for being on the show man that was awesome and i cannot wait to get this book october 17th everyone go buy it texture overtaste thank you again brother thank you guys i'll see y'all soon all right later see you man see you later guys that guy's awesome i feel like that guy's gonna forget more about cooking than i'm ever gonna learn Seems well, like one yeah, of those yeah, guys. Yeah, well, yeah, you know what? Like, there's like, thank God for that, right? So, you know, if you think about Alton Brown, you know, I'm talking about Alton Brown. Mm-hmm, yeah. Right. So he, I, I think he's the Alton Brown era parent. You know, I, I think he's like the next generation guy who kind of like really likes to geek out on science, but just like brings it home with like great cooking. And so it's not just a show. It's not nerdy for nerdy sake. The, the kid can cook. And yeah, uh, yeah super impressive. Like, yeah. he, like literally I bumped into him at a, at a book signing. And I just looked at you. I'm like, huh, this kid's got it. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. Well, that was a fun episode, man. A jam packed full of a lot of interesting stuff. Please go follow us over at two dudes in the kitchen on Instagram. And we'll be back again next week with more tasty treats. Tyler, have a great week, man. You too, bro. I'll see you next week. Bye, everybody. Later. All right, guys. Thanks for listening. Follow us on Instagram at two dudes in a kitchen. Make sure to write us a review and leave us five stars. <laughs> we'll take that. And we'll see you guys next time. See you next time. Ready? Let's go. Give me a vacation. Vacation. Give me a golf course. 70 courses. Let's get a water sport. Can I get excursion? Time for chill vibes. Beach yoga. How about a garden tour? Apple Give me a dolphin. 
What's that spell? San Diego! If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at sandiego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes. That it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official Challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.